Hello, hello, welcome back to Loki's Library, and if you are new here, welcome. I am your librarian, Katrina, and this is where I am reading through the enormous library books that you see behind me, and then I give you a quick synopsis and tell you what I think about them. So if you like books, just aren't sure what to read next, hit that subscribe button, like, and share my videos, and let me know what you think in the comments. This week's book was, well, I think, I think it was a random Amazon suggestion following some of my like Graham Hancock purchases, which makes sense. Uh, making this week's book of the week, Food of the Gods, The Search for the Original Tree of Knowledge, A Radical History of Plants, Drugs, and Human Evolution by Terence McKenna. The accompanying cocktail is called Ambrosia. It is one ounce of cognac, one ounce of applejack, a quarter ounce of triple sec, quarter ounce of lemon juice, top it off with sparkling wine. So let's do this. This book is part history book. It is part botanical walkthrough, part political manifesto, and a whole lot of speculative theory. Like a whole lot of speculative theory. Somewhere in here I have my tiny little, well it's cognac or brandy. I'm going with brandy because I have a tiny little bottle of brandy that I need to get rid of. It was the book itself is kind of a hot mess. I, I mean, to be honest, it, it's broken down into four parts. Paradise, Paradise Lost, Hell, and Paradise Regained with a question mark. He's seriously questioning it, which is fair. Where's my ounce mark? Oh, I picked the bad one. That's very hard to see. I also kind of question his idea of how to regain paradise, but I'll come back to that at the end of everything. Let's see, one ounce of Applejack. One ounce of Applejack. So for Paradise, he brings us back to prehistory. And this part was a little hokey. And he started each chapter with a bit of fictional supposition of what life was like for our early ancestors, not necessarily Homo sapiens, but somewhere in the family tree, like go way, way back in the evolutionary chain. And as odd as I found these chapter starts, the points he makes or he made in the actual chapters were not necessarily wrong. Uh, he points out that it's not inconceivable that our, in our far coll distant collective past, something that we ate as a hunter-gatherer society sparked a mutation that helped us make the leap from monkeys in the trees to Homo erectus to Homo sapiens. And since we were in that far distant past exploring the vast botanical garden that was planet Earth, it's most li likely something that sparked the. It's most likely that something that sparked the mutation was a plant. Uh, and he points out that psilocybin is a good choice for that source of mutation, largely based on the increased visual acuity, increased vocalization, increased hearing. Basically, all your senses are heightened with psilocybin and you want to talk about it. So that's something that might have sparked a mutation that would help us to see better, hear better, speak better. And it's an interesting theory. I mean, there's literally not a single chance in hell that it will ever be proven. But it's an interesting, it's an interesting idea, I guess I should say, not theory. Nothing wrong with it. It was a good idea. Now, out of all the possible hallucinogens, McKenna picked psilocybin as the most likely. He actually narrowed it down to a very specific species of psilocybin. There's a whole bunch of them out there. Um, and he picked it for some pretty plausible reasons. I mean, it grows easily and readily in the manure of animals that our hunter-gatherer forebears would have been hunting. It does not cause nausea on ingestion. That last one is particularly important. Since nausea is one of the human body's evolved warning systems that something is toxic. So if you eat a hallucinogenic, like say the ever popular Amanita muscaria that causes nausea, you're gonna vomit it up before you actually get a chance to experience the heightened senses and verbalization. So 
his call for psilocybin versus something else was not unreasonable. I am fine with his logic there. Where he started to lose me is when he talks about how humanity used to be a partnership society until the evil patriarchy started enforcing the dominator culture on everybody. And he kind of starts to lose me there because it shows an absolute loss of reality of anything even remotely. Well, where is my quarter mark on this? Damn. That is really hard to see. I'm going to have to kind of eyeball a quarter mark. If it has absolutely no basis on any part of actual factual history. That, that There's no evidence that there was a partnership society that was taken over by a dominator patriarchy. It's just, I mean, there's nothing in history that says that's remotely accurate. I mean, like, I'm pretty sure there's a metric shit ton of recorded history that says that's not quite what happened. Like, there is virtually no proof of the existence of partnership societies. Or that matriarchal cultures are or were less violent than patriarchal cultures. There's a lot of historical evidence that women are just as capable of violence as men are. I mean, the violence may be less, I'm going to chop you up with a sword, and more, I'm going to poison you with, you know, deadly mushrooms, for example. Dead is dead, right? Regardless of the method of execution. And it's no less violent if it's a nasty death by poisoning than if it's a nasty beheading on a battlefield. There's a lot of wishful thinking in his book. Uh, McKenna, for the rest of the book, consistently mentions the dominator culture as the source of all evil. It's completely simplistic and ignores large swaths of history that don't support those suppositions. I mean, completely ignores them. Uh, it was irritating, a lot of irritating, a lot of eye-rolling irritation was going on. But there's more to come. Let me shake this up. It's supposed to be served in a flute, and I'm a little worried that... Uh, that's going to fill up the flute and leave me no room for the champagne. Yeah, it does. Alright. Oh no. Oh no. Is the husband outside? Yes, he is. <laughs> okay, phew, thank you. I will carefully pour. A little butt plug. Thank God I can edit that out. <laughs> So the second section is Paradise Lost, and in that he mentions Soma. I mean, it actually provides some pretty solid synopsis of the book Soma, a Divine Mushroom of Immortality by Gordon, R. Gordon Wasson, which I have not read because the used version of $128, and I don't have that kind of money just lying around these days. But he does refute Wasson's supposition that Amanita Muscari is the source of Soma, and he has some pretty solid reasons for his refutation. Uh, he cites another book, Homa and Harmaline, by David Dofflet, Flattery, and Martin Schwartz to point out that Syrian rue is one of several plants to naturally produce harmine. The other most well-known plant is Banisteriopsis capi, aka the active MAO inhibitor in ayahuasca, which makes the magic of ayahuasca work. Uh, it works in conjunction. The harmine suppresses your MAO monoamine I, you don't, I don't even know. I don't know. I will, I'll Google what MBO stands for, put it up here. You could try and pronounce it yourself. I don't know. But the point is, it inhibits that so that DMT can cross the blood-brain barrier and help you go on a wild trip, basically. And since serine rue produces this in the same way that Banisteriopsis capi does, serine rue is actually a pretty likely source of soma because it would have 
suppress that MAO inhibitors and allowed the blood-brain barrier to go for a trip and a wild ride. And so, okay, I, it actually made some logical sense. So I was fine with that. Um, I, I would also like to read the Home and Harmaline, but that is uh, not available for sale. It's a first world problem. Back to this week's book. He briefly touches on the Wasson, Hoffman, and Ruck book, Road to Eleusis, and the he points the finger of blame not just at the patriarchy, but at alcohol. Uh, but whereas Brian Marescu delineated between beer, wine, and distilled alcohol, McKenna blames all alcohol. It makes the very bold assertion that domestic violence would not exist without alcohol. I am 100% sure that that is grossly inaccurate and a wild simplification of the problem of domestic violence. Uh, it also indicates that only men are capable of domestic violence, which is also wildly inaccurate because, again, women are just as capable of violence, including incidentally smacking their partner around. Just for shits and giggles, I'm going to throw the number for the domestic hotline, domestic violence hotline up here too because it is not a joking matter and people should be safe in their homes, you know, regardless of gender. It's okay. He's all right. He's all right. Not a chocolate martini, but it's not the worst thing I've ever had either, so who knows. He also seems to have something against cannabis, which was odd, because usually people who are pro-hallucinogens are also pro-cannabis, because cannabis can also have hallucinogenic effects. This section also included quite a few contradictions, because he will say something like, no bad has ever come from cannabis use, and cite a historical anecdote from early Islam and cannabis abuse, then blame monotheism rather than the cannabis. Um, now, as we learned a few years ago from Dr. Shaswin's book, The Psychedelic Handbook, any negative impact is an adverse effect. If you have a bad trip, that's an adverse effect. If you think you're smoking too much pot, that's an adverse effect. If you smoke so much pot that you lose the ability to go to work, that's an adverse effect. Losing the ability to function on a daily basis is not good, and you can't ignore that just because it doesn't go in with the story you want to tell. So saying that pot has no negative consequences when that is provably false does not bolster your argument in any way. Just like saying in the following section, hell, that opium use pre-further processing into the morphine and heroin only had one recorded instance of abuse in history, never had any adverse implications to your internal organs, is flat wrong. Because even just straight opium use can result in death if taken too much. And I personally would call death an adverse side effect. At least it's included as an adverse side effect in all you know, medication commercials. So yeah, I'm going with death is a bad thing. Additionally, if you take into account the parable of the lotus eaters in Homer's Odyssey, too much opium results in a loss of care for the outside world and memory loss. These are known medically as adverse side effects. Um, also in the section hell, he brings up how sugar, coffee, tea, and chocolate are all addictive substances that are perfectly legal, and, and that actually is one of his strongest arguments, uh, along with tobacco being addictive and perfectly legal. Excellent points. The weakness of his argument here is again in blaming the dominator culture, aka the patriarchy, for the evils of slavery, which he claims vanished during the Middle Ages but rose again with the discovery of the New World. Slavery never went anywhere. It's always existed. It still exists today. I know that people don't like to have that uncomfortable conversation, but it's a true thing. Um, he also makes a very false argument that the Atlantic slave trade was the first time in history that a group was targeted purely on their ethnicity, even though the root of the word slave is from Slav, meaning the northern people, who were heavily enslaved by the Romans purely because they were Slavic. 
seriously. That, that's actually a true thing. For a while, I had a subscription to Great Courses and watched a series on the Vikings' Norse cultures. Very informative. Also watched a series on Ancient Babylon, which definitely contradicts his theories about partnership versus dominator cultures. You see why I say this book was a hot mess? I mean, there's a lot of information out there that directly contradicts a lot of his assertions. And, okay, the book was written in the 1990s, so it's 30 years, 30, yeah, oh my God, 30 years old at this point? Yes, that would be 30 years old at this point. Four to oh, four to four. Yeah, wow. Actually, I think it might be exactly 30 years old at this point. Um, totally irrelevant. His final section, Paradise Regained, uh, he discusses the rediscovery of psychedelics in the 20th century and his, and he kind of almost as a throwaway line throws out about people having a psychotic break on massive LSD overdoses like that's nothing. It's not nothing. Again, adverse effects, those need to be taken into consideration too. And uh, his roadmap for ending the war on drugs, which included, and this is where I go, where I seriously question him, a 200% tax on alcohol and tobacco. Oh my God. A 200% tax on cannabis products. Like, what the actual fuck? Then, then he also says all plants should be made legal, so you could just grow your own and bypass that 200% tax, I guess. Also, and these are direct quotes, currency and baking regulations need to be strengthened. And, quote, strict gun control laws, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, so basically his, you know, like 10 point plan for legalizing drugs is a child's argument that everything I dislike should be heavily regulated or made legal by the dominator culture he hates so much, by the way, but everything that I dislike should be, or that I like should be 100% allowed just because I like it. Um, he did have some good points about, you know, things should be made legal and people who are in jail for those things should probably be released. I'm, I'm fine with that. I have no problem with that. Now, the book did make some excellent points, and there were several lines which I agreed with wholeheartedly, like, for example, when he says things like, quote, the war on drugs was never meant to be won. Instead, it will be prolong prolonged as long as possible in order to allow various intelligence operations to wring the last few hundred millions of dollars in illicit profits from the global drug scam. Then defeat will have been declared. End quote. Okay. It's actually not a bad point. Um, there's that, you know, meme running around, I'd like to congratulate drugs for winning the war on drugs they're still winning the war on drugs, he's not probably not wrong with that. Or when he says, quote, the craving for heroin and the illegal or violent acts that the craving may induce have given heroin the reputation as a drug whose addicts will kill for it. Tobacco addicts might also kill for their fix if they had to, but instead they simply walk out to a 7-Eleven to buy cigarettes, end quote. Excellent point, right? If heroin were legal, People wouldn't have to kill for their fix. They could just go buy it. Fair point from the corner drugstore or wherever. Or, quote, the notion of illegal plants is obnoxious and ridiculous in the first place, end quote. Okay, I, you know, agreed, all right? If it's something you can legally, or you can grow, then why is it illegal? All right, fair points, all of them. I, I, I'm down with that. Singular Bon Mots do not an overall awesome book make. And overall, this book was all over the place and just a hot mess. I mean, if I needed to create a list of books to suggest for the legalization of hallucinogens specifically, but drugs in general, I don't think I'd include this one. He just, it's, it's, it's a hot mess. I, I, I really wanted to like this book and, and to learn some new things. And I 
learned where I should look for other resources. That's all I learned from it. And that's it for this week. If you liked what you saw, don't forget to subscribe, and I will see you guys next Sunday. Bye.